I don't glass anything that I haven't put my feet in, just so I know exactly what's what's down there, what I'm looking into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you just miss so much when you get up on a vantage point and and look over something because you can't see everything, you know. And, there, and there's always something hidden if you get down there and look. You, you know, before you ever glass, it just makes just makes things easier. I think more productive when you are glassing. You're planning on coming to hunt with, oh, on the over-the-counter tag here. Our three seasons are generally mid-August to second week of September is our early archery hunt. That's when we want to chase them in velvet. Most of the state is open. Then the second season for, for archery uh, starts in December. And that's, again, kind of that ruddy beginning of the rut. And that's usually around the middle of December 15th or whatever to the 31st. And then the actual rut, which is in January, is we have the whole month of January, is January 1st to the 31st. I'll start tracking and looking out ahead of me. Everything has to be consistent. The wind can't blow through a track. If the wind blows through a track, it's got to blow through them all. You know, it, it, it all has to be the same. Spider webs, because a hoof print is a trap, a spider will use it as a trap. Okay. So they'll set up residence there. So since we don't get a lot of rain down here and tracks don't go away, you'll have a lot of old tracks that look like they're fresh. I look for spider webs and it'll happen relatively quick within a day or so. Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays. I've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last 12, 14 years or whatever, how long it's been, I've forgotten now, uh, that I've been doing this and um, we've re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to, uh, to check out. Uh, a lot of good information there. So forgive me, some of them might be a little bit poor quality, you know, depending on when it was recorded. But uh, Throwback Thursday is brought to you by HowlForWildlife.org. Howl for Wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives. Howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast, but to amplify our voices and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management. Howl supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management. So become a member at howlforwildlife.org. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, hunting deer in Arizona. Basically, this is part of that state-by-state series that we're doing for deer and uh, elk. And uh, today, we're going to talk to my buddy, Chad Roberts, about uh, hunting muleys in, uh, in AZ. What's up, man? How's it going? Oh, it's pretty good. Just... Uh, Today was actually a quiet day. I, I I had some time to relax for a little bit, which was good. Been, That's uh, always been, good. Been going with my hair on fire for like the last 10, 12 days straight. So, um, yeah. I Other actually got out a little early today. My uh, six-year-old daughter was student of the month, so went and had oh, nice. lunch with her. So, we got to hit the gym a little early and now I'm home. So, there you go. That's always a plus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good deal. Before we get into it, just uh, give us a little background about yourself, uh, even though you've been on the show a couple times, just in case anybody's first time hearing you on here. 
name's Chad Roberts. I'm uh, from a small town just north of the Mexican border. I can literally see California and Mexico right out my back door. So I'm a dirt man by trade. It kind of helps me with my hunting a little bit to study mineral stuff like that. So that's that's, that's about it. That's in a nutshell. <laughs> Chad is very uh, man of man of very few words. Unless you get him to. <laughs> Unless you get him talking over a steak dinner and about hunting, and then he doesn't shut the fuck up. But <laughs> oh man, cool. All right, so like I said, I, I have you on because we're going to talk a little bit about um, hunting in Arizona. And Chad, since he didn't talk about it himself, I'm going to is um, has taken his fair share of very respectable, to say the least. <laughs> uh, Mule deer, desert mule deer here in AZ, and um, and most of them with the bow. So we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, over-the-counter tag situation here, the draw, and the seasons, so that uh, if you have any uh, wishes to come out to hunt Arizona, you know, you have a little bit of a, a leg up. So, well, let's talk about the public land situation here in AZ. Okay, we uh I mean, most of it is public, so when we got got some military and stuff like that, you can't go on. And, of course, we have some national parks, but you have the famous strip. And uh, I personally would never wait for a tag there. I like to hunt. I, I just don't, don't see waiting. I'll take a rifle tag in any unit. I'll hunt with my bow and middle of Phoenix before I'd wait for a strip tag. Uh, It just, that's me. You know, I, I think that you can make things happen in any unit. There are big deer in every unit in the state. Yeah. And I think I've proven that. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what all the excitement is about strip. (laughs) Wow. It's because you're like, yes, there's big deer in every unit here, and you can find 180s, 190s fairly. But if you almost want a guaranteed at a 190, 200-inch buck, that you go to the strip. I get it. But, I, again, myself, I wouldn't wait either. You know, Well, for somebody like you who has had a, a lot of success with his bow, I – I just keep putting in for bonus points every year and just keep killing shit with my bow until I had one and then I could go to the strip. And then, <laughs> yeah. then maybe then maybe you might be able to beat that two ninety five desert mule you got. You know, that that that's funny though. Uh I kinda had the same mentality when I, I started cracking with my bow, you know, every year and I, so I just putting in for bonus points and then I forgot to for a couple of years because I mean it just I'm gonna put in for the units that I can draw every year regardless. Right. Even if I had seven or eight bonus points, say I went seven or eight years in a row of mm-hmm. harvesting a buck with my bow in January, and I had seven or eight bonus points racked up, the first year that I didn't kill one with my bow, I'd put in for a unit that I'd draw with one bonus point. Yeah. So it's, I like to hunt. Yeah. I, I like to hunt. I like to pursue, and that's, I, I that's like to make. That's I like to make the most the of leftover tag, man. <laughs> All right, so I, I, I like to make the most out of out of any unit, and yeah. it, and it's all about challenging yourself, and it's about uh, 
I saw a deal on Instagram today and it said the greater the challenge, the greater the reward. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's me to a T. I wouldn't have it any other way. So trying to be strategic on, on hunt units, you know, for bonus yeah. points and stuff like that is, is a difficult question for me. Cause I, I mean, I'll, I'll take anything, mm-hmm. take anything oh. that, that I have out there and, and just I try to make most year, of it. I hunt every year. I don't hold out. I mean, I did, I held out for four years is the longest I made it without. <laughs> but, and, and this is why. So, and my strategy is, I'm going to tell you what my strategy is. And not because it's that much better hunting, because sometimes it's not even better hunting. I put in for December rifle coos deer hunts. So I don't draw every year. And if I don't draw, I pick up a leftover tag and if, or, or I hunt with my bow and I get one with the bow, whatever. So I'm, I hunt every year. So I, I'm either hunting with a bow and get one with the bow in January and then I can't hunt for the rest of the year or I will put in for a leftover tag if I don't draw the tag that I want. But I'm not putting in for, I'm putting in for tags that take three, four, sometimes five years to draw, but that's it. And it's not yeah. because. I'm going to get a better buck because really the rut doesn't kick in until the last three, four days of that season anyway. So you kind of shoot yourself in the foot if you're trying to do it for the rut. I like it because I don't like hunting in hot weather. Yeah. And that's the only reason I like literally, I stay out of Arizona (laughs) until Until it's cool. Yeah. Until it's cool enough for me to hunt. I, obviously, if I if I draw an elk tag, you know, but that's different. You're you're hunting at seven eight thousand feet. You still have cool, you know, cool mornings and and cool evenings. It's hot as shit during the day, but it's there. And plus, it's elk because you know I'll hunt I'll hunt elk in my freaking my pajamas in, in uh, you know two hundred degree weather if I could. But it's just different. And that's my strategy. Anyway, so let let me just lay this out on the table because. If for those of you listening, okay, we have all our rifle tags here are draw. Some of the archery tags are draw, like the strip, uh, and a couple of two, three units still, I believe, are archer are for archery. I think it's unit one and unit three, and they're just doing that for management reasons, not because they were overhunted. So they're just to limit the number of people hunting in there. They put in uh, oh, and Kaibab, not just a strip, twelve uh, A, twelve B. And Kaibab, they just changed that what a decade or so ago. Or yeah, used to used to be, to, used to be able to yeah you you paid for a habitat stamp and then you you know an extra fourteen bucks or whatever it was and you could hunt up there. I hunted up there a couple of times and be honest with you, during that early season, I never really saw a buck that was like, oh my god, I gotta look at this thing. You know, I I seen some one fifties or whatever. Those big big bucks they don't pop out until November on the Kaibab unless you know exactly where to go. Yeah, you know. So anyway, so there's those, those three, there's the, there's three rifle seasons. There's your early rifle, the second season, and then, well, actually there's four. If you're talking coos deer, there's four, right? Cause yeah. I, you, and, have, uh, you have an early, a mid, and then, uh, yes, mule well, deer is only yeah. three. So you got early, which is in October, then end of October, beginning of November, then beginning of December, and then, your late December hunt, which is the uh, quote-unquote rut hunt or 
now Vision Game is calling is not calling it a rut hunt anymore. They're, they're calling it a pre-rut hunt. But um, and then I think with the mule deer, what 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 are the seasons on that? There's you know you have uh, you have one late October, one first November, and then you have uh, I think strips end of November, mm-hmm. something like that. And there's then, two. Uh, there's two. There's two on the strip, and you have a December. A couple of December desert hunts that right, and those are a lot unit speci- unit specific. Yeah. And then there's a muzzleloader season as well. And then there's muzzleloader season, right? So, and, and those those seasons change. So you got to kind of keep up on that. And for me, and there, anybody I've ever spoke to that kills a lot of big deer, as far as rifle seasons are concerned, they love the early season. They love the first crack at it, and they love the fact that they're patternable. You know, those deer are still going to water. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to water. Exactly. Um, Me, again, I don't care how much better hunting it is. I can't stand it. It's too hot for me. I'm out. If there's still snakes running around, I'm out. You know, that's just my, that's my whole philosophy. I stay out of the desert. I mean, I shouldn't say that because I'm always in the desert, but I don't flock to it. I think it was... uh... 102 when I killed my big buck. Yeah, exactly. Screw that. So, yeah, it was a mess. Almost lost a cape. And it was yeah. nasty. I don't like, I don't like fighting that. Arizona as a whole, we have a lot of different, um, terrain, like different, you know, habitats. We go from the low, low desert, which is like the flats. To a uh, high desert. And then we start transitioning into the JPs with the junior, uh, you know, juniper pinion, oak scrub. And then we go to Ponderosa. Yep. So, Got a little bit of everything here. Yeah. And the deer change. I think the deer are different. I spoke to a biologist at one point that told me that, in his opinion, we have several different subspecies of mule deer mm-hmm. here in Arizona. We have our desert bucks. And there's three there's three species of the desert bug. Oh, there's yeah. three of the desert. Okay. Yeah, so, so I'll say I'll say mine and you can tell me what those are because I didn't hear about that. So there's our desert bucks. There's the Rocky Mountain, which is where you find like your flagstaff, basin, uh so on and so forth. And you know the JPs and 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 the and the um, and those they occupy seven eight thousand like your high mountain you know bucks that you'd find hunting elsewhere in the Rockies and then you have your Kaibab mule deer which is a genetically isolated mule deer from anywhere else in the country. I'm interested to see what was the three what was the three in the desert. Well, we we actually have Rocky Mountain deer down here too. They transplanted them. They're not in Arizona. They're in California. But all okay. you got to do is swim across the river. So, uh, and we've, we've, we've harvested a few of them and you can tell they, I mean, they're completely different than anything else. Mm-hmm. They just, and the most, most of our deer have, uh, a white frosted tips on their ears and these deer are, are brown. They, they, they look completely different in the face. Uh, Marlon has killed a couple of them. Mm-hmm. If you want to check them out, but. He's killed a couple. I personally have not. And then I, I'm not. One's a, a 
a burrow steer, and I can't remember the names of the other ones, but you can look at them and tell they're different deer. deer uh, okay. Just different genetics, they're different species altogether. And that's from transplanting or just from migration? No, the, well, the, the Rocky Mountain deer is from transplanting. They did that, uh, I think, back in the 40s or something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, maybe a little later. But we'll kill deer down here, and, and you know it's from Mexico. You know, mm. I mean, it's it's obvious. And then there'll be some that just you know look like your typical desert mule deer. But they speak a different language or what? <laughs> well, Spanish? They, they just, I mean, they, they look different. I, it, it's hard to explain. I'd have to show no pictures of them. Right. Uh, I mean, we, we, we look at some of these deer and, uh, from what we call a Sonoran deer, and they've got a just a real round muzzle, and mm-hmm. they're, they're, a, they're a brown deer. And most of our deer further north are, are gray, grayish tint. Mm-hmm. To them and different, just different facial features, and you would have to put them up in, in pictures and, and look at them side by side, and you can tell. Right. You know, I've noticed that, like coloration and 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 even antler configuration mm-hmm. and, and color of antlers. Oh, that usually has to do with what they're rubbing on, but you could tell, like the phoenix deer from like a a, a buck, you know, down by the thirty sixes or some down by close to Mexico. I I have noticed a difference because the couple that I've shot up here, they look completely different than the ones that I shot down closer to the border. Yeah, this mountain directly behind me is sold that you can't really tell anymore. But that's a that's a Mexico looking deer, and I got another one over here in the corner that isn't. He's closer, but mm-hmm. he's he's one of the middle ones. Got so it. they're both real old though, so they've started to fade. So if you're uh if you you're planning on coming to hunt with on the over the counter tag here, our three seasons are generally mid August to second week of September is our early archery hunt. That's when you want to chase them in velvet. Most of the state is open. Then the second season for, for archery uh starts in December. And that's again kind of that ruddy beginning of the rut, and that's usually around the middle of December fifteenth or whatever to the thirty first. And then the actual rut, which is in January, is we have that whole month of January is January first to the thirty first. Now some some units open and close in December. I believe most of the most of the southern portion of the state is open. Some of the northern units are closed in January. Um, I can't think of which ones because I never go up there in January. And really, weather-wise, I don't see why you'd want to. <laughs> yeah, it's a little colder up there. But, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty crazy swing uh, weather-wise here, I think. You know, if you're hunting that early season, it's real hot. You can be hit with monsoons. Could be real humid. It's a lot of it's miserable. It, yeah. It's miserable. <laughs> it's yeah. flat out miserable. We hunt in California a lot in the sum, towards the end of the summer months. Mm-hmm. And if if you're glassing at all, uh, you literally have thirty to forty five minutes to pull one up. You know why they're moving after right. daylight. 
and that's it if, if you're glassing unless you just get lucky and you, you find one out in some more open terrain you know it's under a tree that you just happen to pick up standing there but most of your animals that are moving around are usually done you know 30 minutes after daybreak and i'm not talking the sun coming up i'm talking light enough to see right right so that makes it difficult and then uh i kill most of my deer by way of track so that just makes it tough and you it's hot you're covering country can't seem to carry enough water yeah so you want you don't want to go you don't want to go too far because if you do run out of water then you're screwed um i'm usually limited to about 15 miles I would much prefer to hunt and even the rifle hunts lately there they've been uh they've been brutal down here you know like I said I killed my big buck it was 102 at 11 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and you know that that was Halloween so it, even those those hunts are pretty pretty warm on the desert uh up north they're nice and and you you can get spells where you, you go two or three years you know and you have mild weather and everything's good and then you get a couple of years where it just seems like it's hot miserable mm-hmm. i mean it just comes and goes with the seasons but Absolutely. it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they moved that that rifle hunt into mid-november yeah i don't think it wouldn't i don't think it would hurt anything other than maybe hurting people's pockets a little bit where they, you know, have an elk tag and deer tag close together. They might have to pick one. Right. To be honest with you, the the weather doesn't favor end of October. No. <laughs> for that, I, I, I think they do that on purpose in a way, to be honest with you. And it, it, it's so that it still generates money in tag sales and limits the amount of people killing them. Yeah, probably. No, it's uh, it's a hundred percent. That's what it is. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I mean, and, and and it has to be that way. I mean, they're still providing opportunity for people to do it. So those people that are willing to deal with the situation that they're handed, or the conditions that they're handed, they'll have an opportunity to shoot one. It's kind of they do it because that's like the best. Of, and I I I was asking this about California because I'm like, why the freak do you hunt blacktail in July? It's so goddamn hot in a zone in July. And I was talking, this is seven, eight years ago. And I was talking to the, and they basically said, is it because we really don't want, that's why I have no rut hunts there. They don't really want a high success rate because then it would kill off the herd. They have to keep it. They have to keep it at whatever the success rate is now, 18, 20% success rate across the board. And the way they do it is, and, and still be able to sell that many you know, tanks or that many opportunities. That way there's enough funding to, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a sense. shitty situation, but at the same time, and that's why uh, 80% of the animals killed are killed by the same 10% of the population year after year. So, got to get out there and work, got to hustle. Yeah. So, anyway, let's jump into some questions, tactics. What's your favorite season to hunt? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I generally don't. I mean, I like them all. 
but I think January is my favorite time to hunt. Um, and it's not necessarily because the rut or anything like that. Cause I could care less. I'd, I'd rather them be by themselves. You know, it just makes it easier to, to put a stock on a, on a big buck when he's by himself. But the weather here is, you know, like you said, it, it it's hot. And so that time of year, it, it's a little nicer. And, you know, I, I can stretch it out. I can go 25, 30 miles in a day. I don't do a lot of overnight stays because I just try to, I can cover country. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good at covering country down here. And, uh, I can see a lot of new, new stuff, you know, during, during that time of year. And it's not necessarily because of deer activity or anything like that. It's just, I, I like to explore. I like to go to places where I haven't been. I do glass a lot, but I don't glass anything that I haven't put my feet in just so I know exactly what's, what's down there. You know, what, what I'm looking into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you just miss so much when you, when you just get up on a vantage point and, and look over something because you can't see everything, you know, and that, that there's always something hidden. If you get down there and look, you, you know, before you ever glass, it just makes, just makes things easier. I think more productive when you are glassing. Makes sense. It's almost like you can go right to where you know you need to be instead of just looking over this vast area and not having a reason. But at the same time, these mule deer, you know, they get, it, they're hard to pattern. So they're, just out cruising, they don't have anywhere to go. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like the white tail that's going to fields. Well, you do have some that go to fields, but for the most part, you know, they're not going into a field or a river bottom. They're just out there cruising in the open country. So I like to get down there and, and find bedding areas and little feeding areas and shade pockets and mineral deposits and stuff like that. And when I go back later on in life, I, I can get up on a, on a vantage point and just look right into those areas and I, and I know I'm going to be golden instead of wasting my time on the majority of other stuff. Makes, makes perfect sense. Sounds like a lot of work, but it makes perfect sense. Uh, it never stops. It never stops. Uh, I guess so, that's what you got to do to shoot uh, 295 inch bucks. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so you kind of touched on some of it already. I'm going to ask you this question. So what are you looking for in a hunting area? What's your starting point? Like, you know, well, how, how do you even start to, Hey, I'm going to go check out this spot where we start with that and kind of take us through finding a hunting spot from start I, to finish. You know, I, I mean, a lot of your desert country or really anywhere, you know, animals have to eat. So you're, you're chasing weather patterns and, and stuff like that and food sources. And I literally on my, on my phone, if I was open up my phone right now, it would have every single storm that come through the state of Arizona in the places that I wanted to hunt, you know, the areas that I wanted to hunt. And I've, I've screenshot all those for the last couple of years mm-hmm. and I save those and I can go through and, and look at those areas. And because you, you'll have an area that's good for a couple of years or have good moisture in it and it'll dry out and the deer will leave there and they'll go somewhere else and they may skip a region because it was too dry and go to the next. 
And then all of a sudden it'll green back up over here, but the center doesn't, didn't, you know, so they'll never transfer back over. So I, I like to keep a running tab on, on the weather. It, it just helps me look where most of the moisture is concentrated for the longest period of time. Then, then this is the part that, that takes the time. I've got a lifetime of, of exploring down here. Mm-hmm. I, I look for mineral. I think that's your, I personally think that is the key because you can have two areas that are identical in vegetation, mm-hmm. two de- areas that are identical in water, but deer will be in one and not the other. And the answer is mineral. You want to look for your, your irons, your coppers, reds, greens, stuff like that. And that's where the deer will be. That's where your big bucks will be is in the highest concentration of minerals. And when you say mineral and mineral in the soil to transfer yeah. into the feed or yeah, stuff that they're just, actually licking they on. Just, like they min- just eat the dirt. They okay. just eat the dirt. Uh, I've got a picture. I was standing over the top of a big buck a couple of years ago and he was just down there below me eating rocks. He ran five miles straight at me and started eating rocks. <laughs> I was blown away. So, uh, it's not the feed. It's not the water, but what keeps bringing them back is the mineral. So I'll go through and say I'm just walking a wash or a little drainage and, and I'll find areas where deer dug into the ground, you know, and because a lot of times it just, it's washed down from the mountains mm-hmm. and it's deposited. And, and little pools and you, you can find those areas where they even when it doesn't have water in it they're still digging still digging in it and they're still eating it and i'll get those areas established and then i'll go eat, when they dry out you know and, and there's no deer there I'll, I'll just keep watching those those spots and then when it greens back up they'll come back to those spots and There'll be a spot over here, say two miles away, that's twice as green as, you know, this mineral deposit area, and there's no deer in it. Mm-hmm. So finding spots like that is very difficult. It takes a lot of footwork. Uh, but that really, in a nutshell, is the foundation for me. Wow. And then, <laughs> yeah, it, so it, that that's where it starts for me. But like I said, I've, I've got a ton of these spots, you know, that I've, I've started in it. That makes it hard because yeah, I'm indecisive and I can't, and I can't figure it out half the time or can't make a decision. So that's, that's how it is for me. <laughs> if you, if you've seen what my well, Onyx maps looks me. like, how many freaking spots I got pinned out, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's, I've gotten to the point that I'm at a battle with myself every day. I mean, even, even coyote hunting, my, my cousins the other day were like, or where do you want to go? I'm like, when I wake up in the morning, it'll hit me where we're going to go because I have so many spots that I just like, you know, yeah, but uh, I, I, it, it kind of works against you when you have too much. <laughs> so I've, I've got, uh, I've got four locations. The problem is, is they're pretty spread out, but one of them will produce in the next couple of years. And, uh, well, I've got a ton of other stuff, but I'm I'm not even going to go to it. I'm just going right. to pick my four areas, and those are make or break, and we're going to see what what comes out of them. So, 
I think when you start spreading yourself too thin, you start second guessing yourself and you start uh, making things difficult. I mean, I, I killed a bunch of big bucks by staying in one spot or staying relatively close and not traveling a whole long ways. And going to go back to that a little bit. Makes, makes sense. Makes sense. So <clears throat> what did you do? Like, did you get on like, Google Earth or something like that before you even went in there to look? Did you, I mean, is there something that you look for that kind of teased, you know, tips you off to even go look in there? I mean, you, you can look on Google Earth and I mean, it, Google Earth will give up a lot, you know, terrain or mm-hmm. things that might be interesting, mm-hmm. you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell the truth, you know, it, it, right. You, well, I mean, not everybody can need to come need from to Colorado. You know, or whatever, and and go jump in the desert for a couple of weeks to go find spots. So, gotta I mean, try to give them give them something to go with. You know, like yeah, that, I mean, you look for areas that are providing shade and mm-hmm. that, that looks like you know they're real good dark basins. I I like to look for stuff that has a lot of. If I can find a you know out in the foothills that it's got good cut banks in it and. Uh, You'll have those dark pockets at the base of the hills, and I'll focus on stuff like that because that seems to be where I'll dig up a big buck. You know, it's just hidden in the dark. So, you know, I, I guess you can look for stuff like that and just water in general. Right. I mean, you can you can scour for water, but driving is the best way to you know look at look at country is is to drive drive roads and it's kind of a hunch, you know? Yeah. I mean, once you get good to look, looking for it, you know what, you know what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can see something over there that, that looks good, but you gotta be willing to go over there and, and get a better look at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, it separates me from a lot of people is I'll look at something that's 10 miles across the desert, no access to it. And I'll throw a water bottle in my pocket and take off, you know, and I'll, I'll go over and see what it looks like. And that, I mean, that, that's the way to do it is go explore. And people yeah. wait, people wait for, to know what they got drawn for, you know, or mm-hmm. a couple of weeks before season to start scouting. And I, I don't like to wait. I no. I'm constant. I, I stay, stay active all year and I, I know where I want to put in or put my wife in for before the year even rolls around. You know, I, I know, you know, most of the desert down here has been dry all year and we had a few pockets, you know, and I, like I said, I keep track of, of weather on my, on my phone and, uh, I know my areas that have, that were, had some moisture in them, you know, that got rain in the areas that, we're green that didn't get rain. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just going to help me focus a little better on, on some quality deer that are going to be in those spots. Cool. I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk about deer behavior. What do you think you've hunted in a few different States? What do you think are some different, you know, behavioral differences of deer or even if you even want to compare it to from like, down by you and Yuma to here in Phoenix. I mean, just what do you, 
Let's, let's talk about the deer in your locale, like behavior that you think are distinct behavioral characteristics about deer by down by you. And now let's compare it to something else. Yeah, I think, I think they're mountain deer. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll catch them down the flats, but they're, for the most part, you know, they're, they're mountain deer. And if, if they got good moisture in the mountains, that's where they're going to be. I think a lot of the times that they're out in the flats is because man-made water, for mm-hmm. one. Pulling them out there. You know what? I don't, uh, in the summertime, you'll, you'll find them up laid up in saddles and stuff like that, you know, where they, they're getting a draft through them, through the hills. Mm-hmm. But in the wintertime, they don't like the wind. You know, they're, they're bedded up and, you know, it's my favorite time to hunt, really. But, uh, it affects their hearing. So they, they don't like, they don't like wind too much. During the summer, they're nocturnal, 100%. Wintertime, that just depends on, on red activity, but they'll generally speaking be bedded down 9, 30, 10 o'clock if they're not chasing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What I found here, what you just mentioned, during the rut up here in Phoenix, I see that if it's an overcast day, you can see them running around all day long. And, and, and the moon is right. You can see them running around all day long. When it's a hot, sunny, or not necessarily hot, but when it's a sunny day, yeah, boom, they'll go lay down 1030. You know, it, it shuts down. Yeah. And you might have one or two pop up middle of the day, you know, for a little bit, but, but then again, it doesn't happen again until the afternoon, you know. What's funny is down here, if it starts raining. Yeah. You're wasting your time glassing. Really? Because, yeah, they, they go away. They disappear. Wow. They're afraid <laughs> they bed of them. down. They, they, they cover up. Yeah, they're same. nowhere to be seen. Yeah, and that's it's, something uh, different. That's something different. I, I find that rain gets, as long as it's not heavy rain, but if yeah. you know, light sprinkles or whatever, they're up. Yeah, no, we, uh, the last couple of years, we've, we've noticed that real dark overcast days where you got a little drizzle and stuff like that. They are completely shut down until it quits. Yeah. Wow. Then they have a heyday in it, you know. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, they don't like to be out of it for some reason. Yeah. They're, they're uh, so used to being in that blazing ass sun down there that yeah. the rain's going to melt. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, how do you think the, uh, deer, those desert bucks down there, um, uh, how do they react to the, to the full moon or to the moon in general? You know, pretty consistent. Yeah, they, I don't think they change too much. I've, I've tried to play the moon game, to be honest with you, and mm-hmm. paid attention to it, and it didn't do me any good. Uh, Got it. The biggest factors are wind. And I mean, if the wind's blowing to glass, I won't waste my time to still stock straight, you know. And that's knowing your country, mm-hmm. you know, knowing, knowing those little cut banks and those little dark hidey holes, you know, I was, I was telling you about, Yep. uh, if you're just glassing, those deers are locked up, you know, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna see them. You don't have a chance. So I actually like to, like to take those opportunities and, and do some still stalking and you can, you can get pretty close, you know, if you pay attention. Right. So, like I said, the biggest thing is the wind. I haven't noticed anything on the moon, nothing at all. And okay. even this, even this last year with uh, 
with the right activity. I, I was watching moon phase, you know, to see mm-hmm. if it would affect anything and nothing. It didn't change anything. Okay. Weather had the biggest play in it. I had, yeah, I, I had deer down here rutting in all the way till March. I never really even got going till mid February. Really? Yeah, it seemed to hit real late for us. Really didn't feel like it really hit, period, <laughs> honestly. And I was, so when I was hunting, I had uh, Havelina hunters and, you know, in February. And usually during that time, I'm like, shit, look at all these bucks I'm seeing. Look at all these bucks I'm seeing. I didn't see shit for deer. Yeah. And it, and those were in my good spot, like my good deer spots. It was so funky. This state was like, and, and there was guys that argue with me, but I, all the places that I hunt, it was nowhere near what it normally was. You know, and, and, and that's weird. I I had found a, a giant buck in December and a big non-typical and he was his tarsals he he was already broken off his tarsals were black they weren't all all the way down his hocks yet but he was starting and then every herd of deer that i found had small bucks with them mm-hmm. you know it's just small bucks never never a giant pushing the herd until february mm-hmm. but and none of those None of those younger bucks, and I'm talking, you know, three to, let's say two and a half to four and a half years old. None of their tarsals were darkened up or anything until February. Yet yeah. that buck was full blown. I mean, he, yeah. Well, it was starting to run down his legs and stuff in December. So crazy. The rut's weird down here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen fawns with spots on them in December. So I think years like this, they'll continue to just pick up singles throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, oh, that's it's the weather, man, and the and the moisture. <laughs> it's a rain. You get shitty freaking dry winter like we did. I mean, it kind of hurts them bad. So you started to mention earlier about how you like to track deer. Tell me about it. How, so, how do you? How do you track them down, club them over the head, and drag them back <laughs> home? So it all goes back to putting my feet on the ground now, you know, this time of year and throughout the summer and learning a buck's pattern through through the summertime and, and just kind of getting a feel for his home without really crashing his home because I don't like to bust an animal. And I'll I'll get eyes on that animal. And I'll take a picture of his, of his foot hoof track. That way I'm not just tracking any deer. Right. If I, if I was just hunting any deer, it would be easy, but I like, I like to track a, a specific deer. So, and they, they've got, they all have their own fingerprint, so to speak. You know, they've all got this certain chip or a certain funky walk. And there's a couple ways to do it. You can pick them up off of water and. If you have a general knowledge of, you know, where they're bedding for the most part, it, it's not too hard. But what I'll do is I'll pick up that, I'll, I'll dust off an area the day before. If I know a buck's traveling through there, I'll dust off an area and I'll pick up this track. Or if I don't have time to do that, I'll cut a track. And if I think that it's fresh, I'll start traveling it. And for the first 200 yards, 300 yards, nothing can change. And I mean, 
no leaves, no spider webs. Spider webs are the biggest thing that gives a, a track away to me. Thank God for spiders. So, <laughs> uh, you got to explain that. How so? Well, so I'll, I'll start going down. I'll start tracking, you know, and looking out ahead of me and everything has to be consistent. The wind can't blow through a track. If the wind blows through a track, it's got to blow through them all. You know, it, it, it all has to be the same. And spider webs, because a hoof print is a trap, a spider will use it as a trap. Okay. So they'll set up residence there. So since we don't get a lot of rain down here and tracks don't go away, right. you'll have a lot of old tracks that look like they're fresh. Yep. So I look for spider webs and it'll happen re- relatively quick within a day or so. In that first two, three hundred yards, you know, I'll look for stuff like that and try to make sure the track is consistent. It looks fresh the whole way. You know, the, the edges are nice and sharp. They're not blown over. And, uh, once I know that it's a fresh track, I'll start, you know, kind of lining up and I'll, and I'll use a, a survey type strategy where I'll, I'll put my arms out and I'll come over the center and I'll, and I'll, I'll line up on the track and, I'll point myself in a general direction and I'll, I'll scan out ahead of me and find deer habitat, you know, or, or where I think he's traveling through and I'll look ahead. And so I'm not constantly looking at the ground right? where I can skip some. And if I know a deer is headed one direction, then obviously I can get off the track for, for a while and work my way over to that spot. If I'm not sure where he's going, a lot of times, and, and this is where it gets hard. It takes days to get it right sometimes, and sometimes you don't get it right for weeks. You know, you might jump him up a few times, but what happens is a deer will track down and then he'll rotate and come back. He'll make a loop. Right. So he can watch his, watch his six. So while you're tracking and you've got your head down and you're looking, you're following tracks, this deer's over here watching you and then he just trots off. So the best thing to do is to look out 90 degrees from you the whole time and then bring to center. Always start out to the side and bring to center. And, and you have to peer through the brush with your optics. You have to use your tens and, and really dial through and, and pick the brush apart. It takes a lot of effort and not for everybody. Definitely not for everybody, but it, no. it's a challenge for me. And that's why I do it. Like it, it's hard. But it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have friends back east that do it. Um, I had a couple guys on here. Well, Hal Blood, he's famous for it, but they track in snow, mm-hmm. you know, or after rains or whatever, mostly in snow. Uh, and for whitetail, and, they, and they're tracking in thick, like boreal far- forests, which is a little different. But no, I've always wanted to. I mean, I kind of grew up. You know, that's a big thing back east is, is tracking deer. But so, uh, I don't know, think if, I, if you have some moisture, you mm-hmm. know, that that obviously makes it a little yeah. easier. Like if, if it rains here and mm-hmm. I just want to kill a deer and I want to track him down and it rains, I'm headed. I'm going to find some sand. Right. You know, I, that's a no brainer. You just I mean, it's, you can stay on them forever. The other stuff where you're I mean, and. and you know, there's been times where I've taken a piece of chain link, thrown it out behind my truck and drug a road mm-hmm. in the middle, you know, at the end of the day or during the middle of the day where 
been nothing going on and then come back to it and, and cut a track and just take off, you know, and right. It just takes time to do that. I've, you know, but I've, <laughs> I've done it. I've done it a lot. I chased a, I chased a big buck in California, uh, two years ago and he was out in the middle of nothing, couldn't glass him and I wasn't successful. You know, I, I hunted him for a month and nice. just wasn't successful, but it was worth it. You know, I, I would, I would rather, to me, I would rather hunt him like that anyways than to glass him up and, and have a radio in my ear. Right. Uh, there's so much more gratification when you pull oh, yeah. something like, when you pull something like that off. And, and he was a big bug. Like he, yeah. he was, he was a good one. So. No, I, I definitely. I mean, it's it's very, very primitive. It really kind of brings you back to, I mean, the only thing. It, it's full circle. Yeah. So, and, and I was telling Marlon this, you know, because when we're together, we glass. That's what we do. Right. Yeah. And he'll ask me, why are you just, why are you cruising around up there in the middle of nowhere? You know, yeah. I, I just tell him, you know, it's, it's not, there's nothing that compares to it. There's nothing that compares to it. You know, when you, like you can just walk around and, and jump up an animal and have no clue that he was there or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but to, to track one down and then be able to close the distance and, and get a shot or even harvest the animal, you know, it, there's nothing like it. That, that's what our ancestors did, you know, right. so I think it's worth it. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime you put that amount of effort into anything, I mean, it's going to feel that much better. I mean, I remember, and this is not tracking, but I put a lot, a lot of effort into, it was the first year that Unit 7 went to a draw for archery in the early season. Because I used to hunt up there all the time, and I was just overrun with people. So they went into a draw, and there was only like 50 tags or whatever. And I was like, okay, finally I have an opportunity that all these big bucks that I see when I'm scouting and da 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 da, I'm going to be able to get one, you know, in, in velvet. And I put in so much time and so much effort into setting up trail cameras. I even went and made so a trick that I learned tree stand hunting uh, back east is putting a cinch point on fence lines. And that cinch point causes a place for deer to cross. You know, it doesn't screw it up for cattle because the cattle aren't, but, but deer and elk will cross there because it's easier to jump over or mm-hmm. easier for a fawn to go under. So I went and put cinch points in different areas and I was, you know, I, I was cutting trails. I went, I went and actually took my freaking chainsaw in this burn. And I cut a trail, like I was cutting all the damn blowdowns and stuff, and I cut a trail through it. Cinch point on one end, cinch point on the other, and a trail going through it. It took me, I don't even know how many days to do, but probably about six full days of work, you know, besides the scouting and trying to find a good area and blah, 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 blah. And I did this all so I can hang a tree and hang a tree stand and hunt it like, like I did back east. It worked out. I ended up shooting a buck, but... It wasn't a big buck, but I felt so, the moral of the story is because I put so much into it and there was so much like effort went into that, 
even though I shot, it was just, a, I mean, it was a big forky is what he was a big, it was my first velvet deer. And I felt like I shot, you know, a freaking gigantic buck. And he wasn't even at the time. He wasn't even my big, you know, like this is not that long ago. It was probably, it was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. I already had shot, you know, several bucks much bigger than him, but it was just the fact of the oh, way it, got it your, went down. It got yeah. your blood pumping too, you know? Yeah. It was just oh, as the anticipation all, yeah. all peaked. And it, it was stupid. I mean, I, I literally shot the first buck that came down the trail. And I know if I would, that's my, that's always been my problem. I have, I know, and I knew then when I shot him that I was like, if I had waited one of those bucks that I had seen on the trail camera, you know, one of those 150, 160 bucks in velvet that were using that area were eventually going to come down that trail. But it, again, it would go, the moral of the story is going back to what you said was the amount of effort that goes into it and how much more gratifying it is. So, but I can honestly say, I, I think there's no fear of anybody coming down to hunt where you hunt and putting in the time and effort that you put into to kill those big bugs. I think you're safe, bro. I think well, there's, safe. There's, a other cat, there's a couple other cats that get it done, you know, uh, but it's, uh, I just like to do things a little bit different, you know, and, and you don't have to work that hard. You know, you don't really have to do that. I yeah. do it for the challenge. I, I like, I like to get to where nobody's at or no one, no one's yeah. been forever, you know, and just knowing that you, you're the only thing that's been back there in today's modern age, you know, because been closed off and no one's been willing to and the unknown, yeah. you know, I, I, I enjoy that. It's a time for me to clear my head, you know, to get out there and, and do that stuff. Right. But, uh, when I find one out there, it's, I don't have to worry about anybody, you know, because right. I mean, even if there were, even if there were a few people out there that far, the chances of them seeing something special, you know, the same deer or one to none because yeah. they're so vast. But uh, no, it's, yeah. it's all part of it. Well, cool, man. Well, I don't know how much information we gave you guys on hunting in Arizona. I might have to do another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but we sure got we sure got some insight on the mad scientist of uh, brain that goes on in uh, Chad's mind over here. How he, I mean, seriously, if you guys uh, are not familiar with Chad, look him up and see the giant bucks that this guy's killed, uh, and inconsistently. Not and they're not all giants, but uh, there's there's a lot of good deer that people would be very happy to shoot. You know, and and with serious consistency. So, well, we're on the we're on the quest for two hundred or better. Yeah. Typical. So, stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> no more nut bullshit. Non typical shit. <laughs> no non typicals. No, I don't even want. No to more two hundred inch <laughs> non typicals. It's got to be a typical buck. Yeah. No. Uh, it, it's crazy because it, it all goes back to the to the challenge, the greater the challenge, the greater the reward. Mm -hmm. And, uh, a couple of years ago, you know, decent Brooks, don't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had messaged me, how, how's things going down there? And I told him, ah, I'm going to go kill one tomorrow. <laughs> and I went out and I cracked one and he's like, Jesus, you call him. <laughs> and I just laughed. And then, uh, last year I wanted to hunt some really crunchy stuff. It uh -huh. was just, it was really, really loud, obnoxious. There were some good bucks there. 
uh, myself and Andrew Dykes end up killing, you know, both killed nice bucks, you know, 170 mm-hmm. bucks, but it was super crunchy, just very difficult to hunt, very difficult to put, put stocks on. But that's why I chose it because it was hard, you know, right. and I was talking to Deason on the way in there. He messaged me on Facebook and he says it was like two o'clock in the morning. So I had a four and a half hour drive to get back into this stuff. And I was about to lose service. And he goes, well, you're going to, you're going to kill one. <laughs> I said, ah, actually, I, I told someone I was going to, I was going to kill one on Martin Luther King day about a month and a half ago. So I got to kill one today. And I killed one that day. And, uh, this year, I found a big non-typical, but uh, I didn't really put in the effort for him. Mm. I mean, he was a—he's a great buck. I've had my heart set on a on a big, giant typical. And uh, Jason Carter reached out to me and said, hey, you, "Have you killed that buck yet?" <laughs> and I told him, I said, "No, but I'm gonna go kill one tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> and I went and I went and killed the buck this year. So I've got to push myself a little harder. Yeah, and it's hard. It's really hard to find that that clean, perfect, typical that'll truly break two hundred. And I don't wanna come off the wrong way that thinking that I'm some trophy hunter or anything like that. It's just the last couple of years I've called my shots. Mm-hmm. You know, and in in some tough stuff. You know, I've hunted I hunt some nasty stuff. It's crunchy, it's loud. So I'm just I'm just challenging myself to Yeah. You said to find that extra, and that's I, all. And I, and I can't say that I'm I'm going to lay off a another solid buck because I like to kill them. But uh, it's all about the challenge. So again, finding finding that magical 200 is very very hard. You know, that's I mean, just a clean perfect buck. They might not exist for a couple of years. You know, I might be down here spinning my wheels. So it's all about the challenge, not about just being a score whore. Yeah. Uh, if I want to be a score whore, there's other, there's other places to do that. So, yeah, but yeah, stay tuned. Cool. Well, awesome, man. I look forward to seeing what you come up with. I mean, you got to wait till January, but <laughs> hopefully you'll have one picked out sometime before December and we'll, we'll be able to see what you're doing on that one. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to draw Utah and of course I'll, yeah, I'll get some more of the counter tags and, some other states, but uh, and hopefully we shoot a big one in uh, in Idaho. Yeah, that'd be nice. None, none of those, none of those will count. He's he's got to be in my backyard. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it's not just killing two hundred. It's two hundred yeah. in the backyard with my bow. Uh, so no, I hear you. I'm the same way. I got a, I got a couple of uh, goals myself, but. I'll keep them to myself for right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. Throw them out there. (laughs) Well, for a guy who's killed as many coos deer as I have and has helped other people kill several really nice coos deer bucks, I've yet to kill one over 100 inches myself. That's even with a rifle I've yet to. I've even been to Mexico. I took clients down to Mexico and... Killed six bucks over 100 inches and did not shoot one myself over 100 inches. So I, right now, my, my goal is to get one with a bow and velvet because I've never shot a deer in velvet. And my other is to get one over 100 inches with my bow. That's it. 
Muley, yeah, I mean, I would love to shoot a 200 inch buck, but I, I had my heart setting, I like, I, I had my heart setting on it, set on killing a specific buck for the last couple of years, and it didn't work out for me. And and this past season, I was super excited because I drew a first time I ever put in for a rifle tag ever on mule deer in my life. I drew the December hunt in the unit that the buck that I call um, Big Sexy lives, and I could not find him, never saw him, didn't see him in January, so he's either dead or has moved on somewhere, and it was really just my heart sank. So right now, I don't have a mule deer goal. I mean, yeah, I got an inches goal, but it's not really... My my muley goals were specific bucks. Like I found specific bucks, and I they just was a it was a target buck, and it wasn't necessarily. The, and and prior to big sexy, there was another big buck we called moose that and I, I showed you pictures of that big mm-hmm. like moose paddle on one side, and it was just something about him was you know, I and I I just couldn't make it happen. Anytime I I don't know what it is. Every time I put pressure on myself like that. It, it falls apart, but if I just like let things be, like I don't know. In 2016, I shot a buck we call Nemo, and um, you know he's a big buck. He's not giant by any means, but he's a big, big desert mule deer buck and great buck for Phoenix. He was he wasn't even on my hit list really at the time. I was I was still chasing big sexy. That's when he was at his prime actually, and Nemo popped up, and I was like you know bird in the hand. And I went up, I went for him and I, and I killed him, you know, the first time I tried at him. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a different breed, man. You, you said it a few times. You just like to hunt and you just like to kill shit. And that's kind of like, that's like me, man. I'm, I'm just out there and I, I want to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to kill giant things, but like, I'm like, Ooh, squirrel, you know, and I get excited <laughs> and you know, yeah, I do what I do. Uh, so the, the last couple of years, it's, it's weird. Uh, been having been having fun with it uh before i killed the big non-typical i had i had a mid 180s low 190s three by three that was broke off and i had him at uh, about 10 feet and i was full draw and uh my dad was literally 200 yards from me mm. and i let this buck walk off and i had the big non-typical in mind and we weren't even over there looking at him at the time oh, and man. uh i could just see your dad <laughs> yelling at you <laughs> yeah yeah so well there's so few and far between down here these deer you right. know so even when you see just a 154 point or yeah. 144 point you, you get excited you yeah. know it's exciting especially when you've been struggling uh and everybody does you know it's a grind but uh, I let him walk off because he was broken. He oh. broke off like three oh. inches of his of his uh, G three, and that's when they go I, uh, taxidermist and get recreated. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so that's he, he, he was a stud. And you know me, I can't lay off three points to save my yeah. life. I like them. I just like the way they look. Yeah, and I'm always disappointed when I walk up and they're a three by four. I, I yeah. never really killed a huge three by three. Anyways, I let this buck walk off, and uh, my dad start screaming at me yeah god damn it if you're not gonna shoot a deer like that you don't deserve one yeah. <laughs> so 
I, I, I need to get that kind of attitude going again, but it's, it's tough. It's tough. So, but I had, I had a, a big deer picked out, so it was a little easier to make that decision. Yeah. Right, cool, man. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, you and I will talk for sure. We'll get a plan that, uh, Idaho trip and, uh, I'll probably have you back on maybe closer to the season. We'll talk about some other stuff. Yeah. I need to write some stuff down. I really didn't ever get a chance. Things have been so hectic here. We, we just, uh, moved into a yeah. temporary home and sold our home and work's been going. So I was gonna, it's tough to always throw everything together, but I'm gonna, I'll write some stuff down and we'll dig a little deeper. Sounds good, man. Well, thanks for coming on and I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.